Hey there, I'm Sasha Souza, and I have been in the creative events industry for over 25 years. As CEO of Sasha Souza Events, producing some of the most trend-setting and creatively colorful events that you've seen in magazines, online, and in books. I am also a digital CEO course creator, mentor, and I serve the industry with my Creative Collective monthly membership. I am excited to have you join me for the podcast for creatives, where I can share the biggest lessons and the biggest wins of my business and of my creative friends. Let's go. All right, today's podcast is titled Dark Days Sasha, and it probably sounds so ominous and villainous, and maybe it is a little bit. I'm not going to lie. So Dark Days Sasha is diving into a story of how I got a reputation. And this isn't a reputation that is one that you're like, wow, I really look up to that. It's actually a real scar to me on my reputation in the industry. And it's something that I think that we can definitely learn from. So follow me here because it's going to take a minute. So in just about a month, I will have been in business for 26 years. That's more than a few lessons learned and certainly among a small number of us who've been in the industry more than half of their life. And when I thought about that, I was just floored because it certainly doesn't feel that long. It, it just doesn't. And when I look back at dates and, and these stories, I am just like, how long ago was that? <laughs> so I have definitely lived some event life. But I do want to look at the amount of control that I tried to exert over vendors and over my client. You see, I have a lot of ability to sway. I can sway vendors to do what I want them to do. I can sway clients to do what I want them to do. That's part of being a great salesperson. It's part of just being able to convince somebody that your way is the right way. And I can honestly say, looking back now, I understand why all those church ladies didn't want to work with me, much less any other wedding planners. Like, I understand that when we show up at a church that the wedding coordinator completely ignores us and in many cases has completely banned us from the church. And, you know, while I'm not going to say that there's a lot of us that are really terrible, it is often hard for somebody who has control over the client and the way that things are going to let go of their control and let go of every little thing and it's always in the name of it's my client. And, you know, it's what my client wants. My client hired me. And this is what my client said. And they hired me first. They signed my contract first. You know, and, and while this podcast isn't about that necessarily, it it is about how you get a reputation, whatever that might be. And my reputation for working at the churches was that I just wasn't great for the church. They, they found me to be very difficult to work with. And now, after many years of introspection, I completely understand why. But, you know, 
the whole story, and I mean, let's be honest, because while I think it's fair to say that event planners and designers like to have control over the process and the decisions of who gets hired, and sometimes even more who doesn't get hired, we're missing the entire point of what our industry set is, right? And I hear you because you're saying, but Sasha, it's my client. I told her I'd manage the insert item here. If you take nothing away from this, take away from this that people don't want to be micromanaged. And that I'm here to tell you that not everything will be controllable by you. As everything isn't your fault either when things don't go right and you don't have to take on all of that burden. And if you learn that lesson and you apply it, it will serve you so well in years to come. But if you're anything like me, I am here to say that you don't make a mistake once and you don't even make the mistake twice. You make it five or six times just to be sure. And when I first heard that quote, I was like, yes, that is so me, you know, and and I'll also say that my reputation, like Rome, wasn't built or torn down in a full day. But to this day, actually precedes me, at least locally. Because locally, I think my reputation is very different than it is globally. And I'm going to take you back twice. So the first is in and around 2016, I became friends with a photographer. And she had courted us for years, trying to get us to add her to the list. And we finally referred her a gig. And I was finally saying to Mel, yeah, okay, go ahead and, and refer. And, you know, I'm sure she'll do a great job. So, you know, and today I have to say that she is truly one of my very closest friends. So we have a very tight relationship. I probably talk to her a couple times a week. So, you know, she told me a story about myself that was more than a little painful to hear. And she, on the other hand, didn't think it was a big deal. But when I heard it, I was a little bit bummed. And you see, I think that we make up some stories about ourselves, like who we are, what people think of us what our impact is on others. I think it's just human nature to assign those things to, to yourself. And, you know, your story, maybe you're telling yourself, oh, you know, your story is not that you're worthy of bigger gigs or you're not worthy of this type of client or you, you aren't ever going to be talked about in the same breath as these other people that you look up to, right? Or it can be the other extreme, where you're like, I am the best in the world and ain't nobody can touch me because I have incredible creativity. And it's really, but what it is, it's that other people see, right? And if you choose to take that in, it can be really eye-opening. And if you're willing to actually ask the question and hear the honest answer, I found out that I had a lot of inventory to do. So, what she said to me was, the first time I met you, you were wearing these pony hair leopard heels. And I complimented on your shoes because they were so cool. And by the way, I love those shoes. I still have them. <laughs> and so 
I asked her, I said, oh, what did I say to you? And she said, I was super nice to her. And I said, thank you. I was like, oh, that was cool. You know, I mean, what else would I have thought I would have said? And she said to me, what happened when she told other vendors at that event that she liked my shoes? And we were at either an opening of a venue or a local chapter meeting for an association. I don't recall what it was. But I do remember meeting her there. And and I remember the shoe comment. And so she said that the other planners, especially that she was talking to, said, you should not talk to her. Her vendors hate her. She is an absolute beast. These are the these are the real deal quotes that she was told. She is horrible. And I think out of all of those, some of I could say are petty, jealousy, or what have you. The one that really stung was that her vendors hate her because. I work with a team of vendors, and I have for a long time, and there have been some people who've come in and out of the team for various reasons. Typically, it's because they don't do the job that's expected, you know, or they don't understand what we are looking for, and that's fine. They leave gracefully, you know, we've replaced them with a different vendor or what have you. And so, but that part, I was just like, my vendors hate working with me, talk about messing with my mind and the things that I hold most dear. So, I mean, this has really followed me to this day. I mean, other people, planners especially, or vendors who are not in the immediate circle, they like to tell these tales of yore like it was yesterday or that they were even there. And I sometimes even will hear from clients who've hired me that a certain planner, who I know and could name, um, has told them that my vendors hate working with me. And they still work with me because they feel like they're being held hostage. Because we do really nice events and they get paid, so they don't have a choice. They feel like they have to stay. Like it's a, a you know, Munchausen syndrome, essentially, or or, you know, where they love their captor, like that I'm doing these things to them that are terrible, but they stay. And so, you know, I, how somebody thinks first that they will get them business is completely beyond me. But that's a whole different podcast, right? I mean, perhaps it's, you know, they don't because I often will get hired for those. And and we always ask our potential clients on our design questionnaire, who else did you interview? I'm always curious, like, did they talk to anybody else? Did they just hire us? Because I want to know, like, in what circle am I being, is my name being used? You know, is it again, is it, is it, with the people who are local to me as people who are destination. Very, very curious, just, you know, curiosity on my own end. I'm not asking for contracts or proposals or anything like that. That I really don't care about. I really just care about who they're, ta- who they're talking to. And I think that that's okay to tell. And if they decline to state, 
and they declined to stay. So, but the truth is that my inner vendors circle, they love working with me and we do treat them well and we do make sure they get paid and we do try to be good humans in the most stressful of circumstances. And if we're not good humans, I'm okay saying I was terrible. I'm sorry I said that to you. Or I was really stressed out and I was really upset that this thing didn't get delivered or this thing didn't get done. You know, except there was this one time that I threw a cold piece of chicken at a caterer back in 2004. Like literally we're talking like over 15 years ago. And you heard that right. I threw a cold piece of chicken at a caterer in a tent. So I'm going to tell you where this reputation most likely stems from. The most egregious of all of the gigs that I've done that I can actually look at and point to and say, that was probably it. (laughs) So we were doing this particularly stressful gig at the bride's parents' home in Sacramento, which is about an hour in good traffic away from where we are in Napa Valley. But, you know, this event at the time, you know, 15 years ago, was about $300,000 for 150 people. So they were spending some cheddar on this. And, you know, we had this huge tent and, you know, we had these black swans in the lake that they had and everything was custom. It was pretty incredible gig, you know. And, you know, what we also had were just a litany of issues. Things like the rental company ran over the bushes when they were delivering the tent and flattened all of the boxwoods. And the family had just had this, these grounds manicured for their daughter's wedding. So took out the bushes at the entry. You know, the band was too loud. Um, the father of the bride was pissed about the bill. He didn't like the money that was being spent. I wasn't forcing them to spend the money, but now it's my fault. The maid of honor is whispering about us under her tongue. And all of this just added to so much stress. The the restrooms ran out of toilet paper. There was too tall of a step to get into the restroom. So I got yelled at for that, you know, and not to mention that it's a holiday weekend and it's hot as the devil's anvil. And people are running late because the traffic is so terrible. And everything that we dealt with was just recipe for disaster, right? The client was in the comfort of their own home. It was hot and they were already on edge. It was just a trifecta. So as we're getting ready that day, I am feeling immense pressure from all sides. And they will not let It is constant barrage of questions and interspersed with terse conversation. And the catering team that we had hired was an exclusive vendor for me at the time. I was referring only one caterer if you weren't already at a venue that had catering. You had to work with this caterer. So, and we had done, I would venture to guess, several hundred weddings together. So although... It was a very busy weekend, and I didn't have my regular crew. I did have some of them on this gig. So I leave the catering team to set all the tables, even though to this day, 
I like to at least set one of each shape. So if we have round squares and longs, I will set one of each of those and then they can go through and copy. And I'm very particular about tabletop placement and anybody who knows me or has worked with me knows that I like my chair super straight. I like the charger just kissing the edge of the table. I want the flatware not underneath the charger. I like the glassware a certain way on each shape of table. So I definitely have some signature things about what I like. And, you know, that's a whole different lesson. But suffice it to say that the caterer had sent a team that was ill-prepared for the level of perfection that I expected. And in fact, not only was it imperfect, the flatware, when set, was on the completely wrong side of the charger plate. So instead of the forks being on the left and the knives on the right, the knives were on the left, the forks were on the right. And they had a lot of time to set this. It wasn't like a three-minute job, but they just didn't. Also, the glassware was upside down on more than half the tables. So nobody had gone around and actually redressed the room to make sure that it was right. And we had photos in 15 minutes. So I, my blood pressure is already high. I, when I tell you that I hit the roof, it is probably a miss, total miss. My head completely left my body. It shot off my shoulders and exploded into this like huge amount of fireworks. So much so that I cleared an entire table. I threw all the glassware, flatware, and charger out the nearest tent opening. I screamed at the staff, and I mean, I screamed at the staff. I was so furious. But it doesn't stop there because I'm pretty positive at least one server basically said, screw this, and left. Could have been more, actually. But I'm pretty positive that they said one person left. But for the staff that stayed, and I was friends with a few of them, they did reset the tables in record time. So I moved on. I said my piece. I got pissed. They figured it out. We got photos taken. You know, the bride gets married. Things are going okay. I'm like, praise Jesus. Usually once the bride is down the aisle, I have pretty smooth sailing. We'll have some random things here and there that will happen. But generally, that like the, the, the family lays off. And they lay off because they're like, oh, there went all that stress out the window. And it, it is not what happened. So dinner starts, you know, our tent is not wide. It's about 40 feet wide and about 90 feet long. So it is a, a complete rectangle. And the way that it was set, the head table was directly across from the, you know, the dance floor was between the head table and the band on the thin side of the tent. So the bride and groom were essentially 30 feet from the band. Um, 
when you figure in space and things like that, perhaps even a little bit closer. And, you know, the bride had hired a very large band, not at our, our request and not certainly not at our authorization because of the size of the tent. And the tent had sides, so it was loud in there. So the father of the bride essentially accosts me multiple times to turn down the sound on the band. When I tell you, we literally had no amplification on anything except for the singers and any electrical instruments. But that's what happens when you have horns. There is nothing to do, but I'm to blame. I'm getting screamed at because nobody can talk. And to make matters worse, dinner service is dragging. And I've been to the catering tent half a dozen times asking them to please speed it up. Let me be clear. Also with you guys, I never enter the kitchen. That is the chef's space. If I go in there, it's because something is really, really wrong. Or it's to get my dinner, <laughs> you know, at the event. But I'm, I'm not somebody who's standing over plating. I'm certainly not telling the chef what to do. I, I'm just in the way. That is not my forte. But on this particular gig, I had to go in at least a half a dozen times and say, I need you to hurry. I need you to hurry. I need you to hurry. And the catering manager had come out, had talked to dad, said that they'd speed it up, that they were working hard. But, you know, to fast forward through all of his petty complaints, I will move on to the big cheese here. Because he had been talked to no fewer than probably two dozen times over the course of an hour. And he was just not, not willing to enjoy his daughter's wedding. And I also want to bring up that this is a family style dinner. And the family style dinner was such that the client demanded that the entree be plated. So the, the, the meat was plated and the sides were all family style. This is a bad idea, y'all. <laughs> I mean, it gets cold. So here we go. Dad once again snags me and says, while shoving a plate in, into my hands, my sister's chicken is cold. And at that point, I was as cooked as that hen. I grabbed the plate. I didn't even say a word to the dad. I literally turned on my heels, walked into the kitchen, and said to the staff, the dad just gave me this cold chicken. I need you, the catering manager's name, to come out and talk to dad. And he looked at me and said, no. He said, I'm busy. That's your job. And this is the point where you're going to want to turn this down if you have small kids in the car. Because I said to him, get the fuck out of the kitchen and go talk to dad. I repeated it three times with him ignoring me every single time. And after the last syllable, that white china plate with that airline unsauced six ounce chicken breast grew its own wings and it flew across the kitchen. 
falling short of my target, I might add, <laughs> but it did break on the floor. The kitchen was silent. I had had a full-on meltdown in the kitchen. And I refused to leave the kitchen. And I hear from other vendors, like the lighting designer and the photographer, that you could have heard me in the tent with the band. That's how loud I was. And the tent, the kitchen tent, wasn't even connected. So I was melting down. And I said, I'm not leaving until you go talk to the dad. The catering manager finally acquiesced, went out, right, and took the brunt of dad's BS. And then he came back and finished the dinner service. In the meantime, I put myself on a timeout because apparently I'd crossed whatever imaginary line I had invented for myself. I must have crossed said line because I decide it's time for me to go and sit in a small grove of trees in the dirt. And I wasn't crying. I wasn't like so mad I would cry because I've done that too. I was just simply fuming. I don't know that I could see any color other than red. At some point, somebody tried to get me to eat dinner. And they I remember them saying to me, you need to come and eat. And I said, I will not eat their food. That's how mad I was. <laughs> like I was going to have a hunger strike right then and there because I was so mad about the food that I wasn't going to eat the food after I hadn't eaten all day. So I'm sure that also attributed to some degree. But as I'm sitting there fuming, I have my cell phone in my hand. So I think it is a brazilliant idea to call the owner of the company. I am ready to release the Kraken on the owner. And mind you, I am so not in my right mind to call anybody. And this is way back when people still had answering machines in their home. And I don't know if you smell what I'm stepping in right now, but this goes crazy. So the owner doesn't pick up and he hadn't answered his cell phone either. So that's why I call his home phone and his message comes on and I lay into the most curse word laden tirade I've ever given. I am not seeing straight. I am basically, it is one giant cuss word. And he picks up and he's stuttering. He cannot form a sentence to even say my name. And he finally is starting to ask me to calm down. And I'm yelling at him for sending me a bunch of carnies to a symphony. And I am freaking pissed. And I come to find out later that he was having a dinner party and every single guest heard the call. And none of them were event people, you know, but they all heard every single word because his answering machine was turned up loud. 
So he had to try and get to the phone as I was leaving this intense message. Ultimately, the event was a disaster for me, right? Obviously, for many reasons. Ruined relationships are are one of them. I went on to continue to use the caterer. We didn't stop having any sort of relationship, but it definitely, there were many, many conversations about certain staff that were not allowed at the events, especially that catering manager. I went on to do many events that were booked, because this is an event in May, we have events booked all the way through October where that catering manager wasn't even allowed to be at my events. I said he was, no way was he going to be there. You know, but I can look back at some funny parts and I want to share some of those with you because some of them are, are like quite hilarious. But the two that really come to mind are at the end of the evening, we are taking the draping down off the tent. And we had used a clear sidewall for whatever reason, but we'd put draping over it. And the draping was pulled because it was it was the area right behind the band. And as we're taking the draping down, my assistant is unpinning it and he is like exposing that clear wall. And as he's exposing that clear wall, he gets a clear view of the bride who is squatting in the corner with her dress hiked up and is peeing behind the tent. (laughs) Why? No clue. Because we were, remember, we were at her family's home and there was a toilet literally yards away from her. But she chooses to pee behind the tent. And to know this assistant is, he laughs at the most awkward situations. So she's sitting there, drunk as a skunk, peeing behind the tent, and he is literally laughing his ass off. He cannot control himself. And another one is a super drunk guest comes up to us, and and you guys who do weddings know, like you get somebody who's inebriated or they're on something, and they say the craziest things. And this one happens to be like this six foot four, really thin dude, and he comes up to Mel, my assistant, and he says, I want a ham sandwich. And this is well after the event is over. And we have served no ham at this event. And she looks at him and she's like, we do not have any ham and we do not have any sandwiches. And he kept saying to her, but I need a ham sandwich. And I know you must have ham. This went on for like 10 or 15 minutes. He had his arm around her. He's like, give me a ham sandwich. All I want is a ham sandwich. You know, I guess we should have offered him that chicken that we still had that was left over. But now when we see drunk guests, we always say to each other, I wonder if he wants a ham sandwich. It's an inside joke. So long story, but... To wrap this up, do I deserve that reputation that has followed me since 2004 to when my friend first told me what people think back in 2016? Maybe. I'll own it, right? Is it repairable? It's absolutely not. Because now it's it's part of the book. It's the yore of Sasha. And... It's not. Those opinions are already formed. There's no hiring a PR fixer for this, you know? And 
My former assistant and several other vendors who talk about this often refer to that time as dark days, Sasha. As in, oh, was that back in dark days, Sasha? Or somebody will ask, is that from dark days, Sasha? So it's an actual thing, the way that I acted and the way that I talked to people. And the most egregious of which is the, you know, the chicken story. But I'm positive that there were others. And what I, one of the things I want to leave you with is that your reputation is one of the most valuable things you have. Protect it. And give them nothing bad to talk about. All right? Now I want to tell you about something really cool. Because if you like to win cool prizes, I got some cool stuff for you. So you can win a really cool prize, which we're doing every month. And so if you just review this podcast right here where you listen to it, we have very easy rules. Rate the podcast. Snap a screenshot, share it to your social media story or our Facebook page with the hashtag Sasha Souza podcast and tag Sasha Souza events. Do that, and every month we are going to be giving away our Event Pro Forms download. And you'll get all the Event uh, Pro Forms, and then every three months you will be entered, if you won one of those Event Pro Forms, you'll be entered to win a 45-minute one-on-one with me to talk about your business. So how cool is that? All you have to do is rate us. And I would love it if you are enjoying these stories and you want to hear more because we intend on bringing people on to tell their stories. So if you are loving this, please tell us. I want to know that you like it. So anyway, I just want to leave you again with thinking about the fact that the reputation you have is one of the most valuable things. All right, have a rad day and I will see you next time.